All right. Well, today we are uh, wrapping up our series in the book of Ruth. And uh, if you're visiting with us today or um, you're jumping in at the very end, uh, this is week five in a five-week series. So um, if you've never read the book of Ruth, you can go back and read it. It's in the Old Testament. It's not a very long book. It's, it's a pretty quick read. Uh, so feel free to go back and read that, or you can go back and listen to the messages online and kind of see what we've been talking about over the past four weeks. So I won't give you a long review, but I'll give you just a brief recap. Um, to help us remember what's been going on. Uh, The book of Ruth is about two women, really. Um, A woman named Naomi and her daughter-in-law named Ruth, and they've fallen on hard times. They've just gone through a difficult season in life. Uh, Both of their husbands died. Uh, They don't have any sons. Uh, They're poor. Uh, They're widows. Uh, Ruth is from, not from Israel. She's from Moab, so she's a foreigner in Israel. She's like a refugee or an immigrant there. And uh, life has just been fairly hopeless, for them. Um, but then they meet this man named Boaz, and he's kind to Ruth, and he gives her food, and he shows her grace. And ultimately, the story of Ruth is a story of redemption, because Boaz becomes what's called her guardian redeemer. And this is a legal term in, uh, in ancient Israel. It meant somebody who came in and helped a family by buying or redeeming the land that was about to be taken away from them. They were having to sell their land, or it was in debt, and the little land they had left, Naomi and Ruth were about to lose. And so Boaz comes in and he buys the land for them so they don't lose it, so they have some sort of future. But he does even more than that. We read last week, if you were here, that he agrees to marry Ruth and provide for her more stability and more of a future in her life. And that's where we pick up the very end of the story today. So we'll listen to that. and Boaz slept with her. By Yahweh God's gracious gift, she conceived and had a son. The town women said to Naomi, Blessed be Yahweh God. He didn't leave you without family to carry on your life. May this baby grow up to be famous in Israel. He'll make you young again. He'll take care of you in old age. And this daughter-in-law who has brought him into the world and loves you so much, why she's worth more to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and held him in her arms, cuddling him, cooing over him, waiting on him hand and foot. In fact, the neighborhood women started calling him Naomi's baby boy, but his real name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. So this is the family tree of Perez. Perez had Hezron, Hezron had Ram, Ram had Amenadab, Aminadab had Nashon, Nashon had Salmon, Salmon had Boaz, Boaz had Obed, Obed had Jesse, and Jesse had David.
thanks for reading Megan and uh, reading through all those names. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so uh, let's go back, and um, I want to just look and highlight a few things in this passage uh, that are going on here, and, um, and I want you to pay attention to some of the details. Uh, because some of these details are going to become important uh, a little bit later. This is what it says starting in verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, Yahweh enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. So Boaz took Ruth to be his wife. It's, it's such a simple statement, and, and it's tempting to just kind of move past that, and I mean, that's just a statement of fact, right? And yet, even in that small little statement is the encapsulation of the redemption that Ruth has experienced. Because if you were here last week, remember, we talked about this word redemption, and there's really a couple of definitions for redemption, so I'll put those up there. Uh, the first definition is um, to pay a debt, Right, So when you redeem something, you pay off a debt. And we said in church or sort of religious language, we see that as God paying our debt, that we have a debt of sin and God stepped in and paid it. But just very tangibly speaking, it's to pay a debt. But then there's a second definition. And the second definition is to recover something that was lost. And sometimes the word restore might even fit better uh, than redeem here. There's this idea of recovering something that was lost. And both things are happening in this story. Last week we read, Boaz steps in and he pays this debt to make sure that her land isn't taken away from her, to, to save or, or keep the land in her and Naomi's family. But more significantly, he's stepping in to restore all that has been lost with Ruth and Ruth's life. In fact, think about all the things that Ruth has lost. She had been living in Moab, this was another country. She had been living with her husband. She had probably been living with her own Moabite family because that's usually the way it worked. And by all accounts, she was living a normal life. And then her husband died. She lost her husband. Uh, she loses her family when she decides to travel to Israel with Naomi. She loses her cultural status because in Israel, she's a refugee. She's an immigrant. People look down upon her. She's probably judged because she's seen as a foreigner. She's seen as different. She loses her dignity. She's poor. She has to, to try to find scraps in a stranger's field. In many ways, you could say she's lost her identity. And yet God is in the process of restoring all of those things back to her. In fact, you can see this if you walk back through the book and you just see the words that are used to describe Ruth herself. The first one is foreigner. In chapter two, she's just called a foreigner. She's not even called by name. She's just a foreigner. That's who she is. And then later in chapter two, she's called a servant. And the word, the Hebrew word used there is the lowest form of servant in someone's household. She's, she's, she's like one of the lowest servants. And then later in chapter three, she's called a different kind of servant. She's called, uh, it's a different Hebrew word that's used there. It's like a handmaid. It's like the next step up in the line of servants. She's a little bit higher on the scale of servants. And then in chapter three, Boaz calls her my daughter. And then here in chapter four, she's called his wife. You see, even in what she's being called, you can see God is restoring all of the things that have been lost to her in her life. 
Now, if we put verse 13 back up there again, it says, uh, it says that after um, they become husband and wife, they consummate their marriage, and then in the very next phrase, it says, God enables Ruth to conceive. Literally, he gave conception or he gave pregnancy to Ruth. And this is amazing. Because you might remember in the beginning of the story, Ruth had been married to her former husband for 10 years before he tragically died, and they didn't have any children. And they had been trying to have children. We know that they had been trying to have children because children were a sign of blessing from God, and and families just did that immediately back then, and they couldn't have children. She was barren. We would say today, they were infertile. They couldn't have children. And yet here, amazingly, it says, God gives them this ability to have children. Now, I know a little bit about what this is like. Some of you know my story. My wife and I tried to have children for many years, and we couldn't. And we tried, and it was the most frustrating, most difficult season of our lives because we felt so powerless. It was like we kept trying to do everything we possibly could to have this thing happen in our lives, and it just wasn't happening. And we kept coming face to face with this reality that at the end of the day, children are only a gift from God. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to work harder for it because we did all the medical stuff you could possibly do to try to make it happen and it just wasn't happening. And it raised all sorts of difficult questions because we're sitting there asking, God, why wouldn't you give us this gift? And it seems like you're giving it to so many other people. And there's people, there's women that are so less deserving of this gift. Like there's, there's people on crack that are having crack babies. And here we are. And why are you not doing this? And I never came up with a great answer. I meet with couples and families today that are still asking those questions, and I don't have a great answer. I don't know why God gives that gift to some people who seemingly don't deserve it and doesn't give it to other people who seemingly do deserve it. And yet, it was the one thing that we kind of finally had to come face to face with this reality was, at the end of the day, it's a gift that God gives. And we just have to trust him that he'll give it in his time or in his way and according to his purposes. And at the end of the day, we just have to trust. And I'm assuming that Ruth had to wrestle with those same things because in her mind, she probably would have thought, life would have been so much easier if you had just given me children with my first husband. Life would have been totally different. She probably never would have traveled back to Israel with Naomi. She would have had, if she had many children, she would have had sons that would have grown up and taken care of her. None of this would have happened. Why didn't you do this, God? And yet, I'm assuming she came to the same conclusion. At the end of the day, children are just a gift from God. And it says right here, God gave this gift. And we don't know why he waited, and we don't know what his purposes are, but in his purposes and according to his plan, it was Boaz, and it was at this time that he enabled and he gave her this gift of being able to get pregnant. But it wasn't just a gift for Ruth, right? It was a gift for Naomi as well, because the story goes on, and it tells us this in verse 14. Uh, The women said to Naomi, praise be to Yahweh, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. In Hebrew, it literally says, he has not stopped providing for you a guardian redeemer. May he become famous 
throughout Israel. And what we see even in this verse is God is not just in the process of redeeming and restoring all that Ruth has lost. He's in the process of redeeming and restoring Naomi as well. Because the women realize the one, and remember, these are the women that didn't even recognize Naomi when she came back to Bethlehem. She travels back after this famine, and they look at her and they say, is that really Naomi? We don't even recognize you. You are so broken and physically different. You don't even look like your old self. And now these same women are saying, may Yahweh be praised. May Yahweh be blessed. May Yahweh, may, basically may we worship Yahweh because he's done something amazing here. He has not stopped providing for you. He has not stopped giving you redemption and restoration in your life. And I know you think he stopped, Naomi, and I know you think there were long stretches of time where you prayed prayers and he wasn't listening and he wasn't answering and he didn't care and he didn't love you. And I know it seemed like he wasn't doing anything, but he was. He never stopped caring. He never stopped loving. He never stopped hearing your prayers. He has always been in the process of working behind the scenes for your redemption and for your restoration. And now it's come to its conclusion. God has given a redeemer to Ruth, Boaz, but he's given a redeemer to you. And the redeemer is this little baby for Naomi because look at what the women say next. They go on, verse 15. They say, and they're talking about this little baby, he will renew your life. Literally, he will become a restorer of life for you. And he will sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And then Naomi took the child in her arms and she cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. So God is in the process of redeeming and restoring Naomi just as much as he is in the process of doing that for Ruth. Naomi had come back to Israel empty. Remember she says that? I came back and I have nothing. I'm empty. I have no husband. I have no sons. I have no money. I have no grandsons. I have no hope. I have no purpose. I have no family to continue on the family name or to give me a future. But now the women are saying, God, God has given you a redeemer. God has given you a restore. And it's not Boaz, it's this little baby. This little baby will be the one who will bring restoration to your life. This little baby will be the one who will grow up and care for you and love you even as you get old. And, and the women, um, if, we, if we can put the verse back up there for a second, the women then take the, the child, Naomi takes the child in her arms and she cares for him. And then it says the women uh, have this birth announcement. They basically say this to the whole village. And this was common in Hebrew literature at the time. Naomi has a son. Literally, um, to, to Naomi has been given a son. A son has been given to you, Naomi. And then they name him together. The women and Naomi name him Obed. And Obed in Hebrew means servant or one who serves and we don't know if it's short for one who serves God. Sometimes they name children that way. Probably meant one who will serve you, Naomi. Serve as your redeemer or your restorer in life. Now, before we move on uh, and sort of look at the ending of the story, there might be a tendency to stop and say, you know what? It looks like these two women needed a husband and they needed children in, other, in order to be complete and to be fulfilled in life. This, this story just reinforces the idea that women are incomplete somehow unless they have a husband or unless they have children. 
And uh, A, that's just not true. <laughs> and B, I, I think that's misreading what the story is driving at. I mean, there is some truth that in that culture, women might have been perceived that way and, and viewed that way. And in that culture, certainly God uses Boaz and he uses this child to bring in their specific circumstances a sense of complete, completion and fulfillment and redemption and restoration. But this story is not about the men being the heroes. It's not really about Boaz or even this little baby boy being the heroes. It's ultimately about women. You know who the real hero is? It's Ruth. I mean, Ruth is the hero of the story. Naomi would have never known hope without Ruth. Naomi would have never known God's love and care for her without Ruth. In fact, the women in the, the village see this because they look and they say, this woman, Ruth, she is the one who loves you and she's better than seven sons to you. And in that culture, that's like saying the ultimate idea of God's blessing in life is to have seven sons. Like that was the perfect picture of a perfect family with a perfect blessing and God's perfect reward in your life. And the women are saying, you know what? Better than that is this daughter-in-law Ruth to you. It's better for you to have her in your life than any sons could ever bring. She, she is the real hero. From a human standpoint, she's the hero of this story. But that's where we need to step back and see for a second that God is actually the hero. God's the one who hasn't forsaken Naomi and Ruth. God's the one who's not starting a new family. He's in the process of rescuing and redeeming and restoring this family that's been broken. And it's a whole lot bigger than this one family. God isn't just bringing redemption and rescue and restoration to Naomi and to Ruth. He's bringing redemption and restoration to the entire nation of Israel. Because remember, the nation of Israel is in shambles at this time. It's in chaos. It's this horrible time. And remember, the very first verse of Ruth says, this all takes place during the time period of Judges. And uh, if you want to know what Israel looked like, just go read the book of Judges. Over Christmas, like if you want to balance out the joy um, a little bit and the hope and all the good feelings of Christmas, just read Judges over the next week and you will see, it's just this horrible time in Israel. War and rape and violence and chaos and, and nobody's obeying the law and nobody's following God and people are doing the most horrible things. In fact, it end, the whole book ends with people are just doing whatever was right in their own eyes and basically meaning they didn't even have any sense of right from wrong. They're doing all of these horrible things. And here's what we have to remember. God created the nation of Israel to show his redemption and his restoration to the whole world. He had rescued them from Egypt and said, as you live by my law and as you live as a people of love and hope and faith, then you will show to the whole world what a redeemed and restored community will look like. And here we are. And it doesn't look that way at all. And God knows the community that's supposed to show what redemption and restoration looks like needs redeeming and restoring itself. See, the nation of Israel needs its own guardian redeemer. It needs someone to step in and recover 
what was lost, someone to rescue them from their external enemies. There's all sorts of external enemies during this time. Someone to rescue them from their internal conflict, someone to unite the tribes, someone to bring law back to the land, someone to bring them back to worshiping God into right relationship with God. And it's in this little story, in this little town, in this little baby, that we begin to see God moving to redeem and restore the nation of Israel. Because we're told in verse 17, after this baby is born, we're told he's named Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David. You see, David, King David, is Ruth's great-grandson. King David is Naomi's great-great-grandson. King David, who would be the one to lead the people back to God. King David, who would be the one to restore the nation back to its glory. King David, who would be the one to unite the tribes. He's the one who set up Jerusalem to be the capital of the nation. He's the one who defeated the Philistines and sent them out of Israel. He's the one that established the law to be followed in the land. King David is the one who helped set up the place to build the temple in Jerusalem so people would come to worship. King David is the one whom God raised up to redeem and restore and rescue Israel, he is like Israel's guardian redeemer. And we see God was working behind the scenes. King David, who would become the greatest king in all of Israel's history and the model for all kings to always follow. And he comes from the line of this poor, widowed, childless, not even an Israelite, refugee immigrant, woman named Ruth in the little unknown village of Bethlehem. And you see the book closes with that long list of genealogy with all those names we read to drive home the point that God was up to something so much bigger. He wasn't just redeeming this one family. I mean, he was, and they were important. His focus was on them, but it's also a picture of the way he was redeeming the entire nation of Israel. But the story doesn't stop there either, does it? Because if you know much about the Old Testament, you know that after David died, Israel never lived up to its calling. Things got bad again, and the people strayed away from God again, and they didn't follow his law, and they they never really lived the calling they were supposed to. Some of the prophets would come and say, one of the prophets named Isaiah would say, Israel is supposed to be God's servant, not just serving God, but serving the whole world, because they're the ones that are supposed to be God's light to the whole world, as they live by his law, and they follow his law, but they're not doing that. And so you have prophet after prophet. I'm reading the prophets right now, and they have all these messages, and some are hope, but there's a lot of judgment because they keep saying over and over, Israel's not living up to its calling. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. The people who are supposed to provide the rescue to the whole world still need rescuing themselves. And so amidst all those messages of doom and gloom that Israel's doing all the wrong things, there's just little visions of hope. Maybe one day God will send another redeemer. Maybe one day God will send a redeemer like David, somebody who will come and rescue the whole nation and lead everyone back to God. 
Maybe God will raise someone up and, and this new redeemer will do something more permanent, more, more lasting, and it won't just last for one generation, it'll last forever. And it won't just be to redeem Israel, it'll be to provide redemption for the entire world. And one day Isaiah, in the middle of one of his messages says, I see a vision that it's gonna happen. For unto us, just like a child was born to Naomi, and he was named Obed, and just like a child was born named David, unto us a child will be born, a son will be given, and he'll be given a name, he'll be called something, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And 600 years after Isaiah saw that vision, and a thousand years after David was born to be the redeemer king for all of Israel, and 1,100 years after little Obed was born to provide redemption for Naomi, at a time when you could only describe Israel as barren and fruitless, God comes to another little peasant girl, and an angel says to her, hey, God has miraculously given you conception, and you're gonna have a baby, and here's what you need to call him. You call him Jesus, and that means God saves. God rescues, God redeems, God restores, and he'll be in the line of David, and he won't just be a redeemer for Israel, he'll be a redeemer for all of humanity. And the apostle John probably describes it best when he says this about Jesus. He writes, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in a familiar verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, we too have a redeemer. We too are part of this story, this grand story. God has not left us without rescue, without redeeming, without restoration. He sent his son for all of us. And I think the only appropriate response to the end of the story is just to worship God for that. Like, I don't know that there's any tangible, here's what you need to go do tomorrow morning as a result of this story and this message. Oftentimes, the Bible works that way. And maybe there's something specific in this series as you've been here. Maybe there's some specific way that you need God's redemption in your life or Jesus can be your redeemer and he's been nudging you and pushing you and you sort of put it off and it just keeps coming back over and over that you need to pursue God's redemption in this specific way in your specific life. And if that's the case, do it. Don't, don't keep putting it off. Don't delay it. Say, yeah, I need you to be my redeemer, God, in this way. But maybe for most of us today, it's just, let's just pause. And like those women, praise God and worship God for this story that he's been writing for thousands of years. And then he includes all of us in that. And so we're gonna wrap up and just sing a few more songs this morning. And I wanna encourage you over the next, I don't know, 10 minutes or so to just sing <laughs> and to worship God in your own way. And if you want to sing extra, extra loud, go for it. 
right? Just belt it out. Uh, if you want to like just kneel and pray, do that. If you want to raise your hands, do that. If you want to close your eyes because it's easier to just tune out the distractions and just in your own quiet way reflect on God's redemption in your life and in this whole world, do that. But let's, there's something special that happens. You can worship and I can worship in all kinds of ways. We can worship in the mountains. We, there's all kinds of ways we can worship, but there's something unique that happens when I think we just gather together and we sing songs and we remember who God is and we tell God, here's what we see and here's what we believe and here's what we wanna worship you for during this season and in this moment today. So let's do that. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. God, thank you for not leaving us without hope, not leaving us without a redeemer. Thank you for rescuing us from ourselves. And we've all been rescued from different things. Some of us from very tangible and physical things we needed to be rescued from. Some of us have just been rescued from selfishness, from pride, maybe from addictions, maybe from hopelessness, maybe from an identity crisis, maybe from feeling unloved, maybe from shame, maybe from guilt. Whatever it is, God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our guardian redeemer. We just want to remember that today and worship you for doing that. Pray this in your name. Amen.